Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yak Gadget. For all your fine quality kayak fishing needs, go to yakgadget.com. Pelican cases, coolers, and lighters. Go to pelican.com. And the 153 Bait Company. For all your hard, soft, plastic bait needs, go to the 153anglers.com. Now let's talk about some awesome products. You're listening to the podcast on Paddleton Podcast Network. I'm Brad. What's up, Brad? It's Josh. How's it going, dude? Good. How you doing? Good. Good, good, good. Um, I'm excited about the uh, episode tonight. I don't know about you, um, especially because it's been pouring today. So kind of goes along with what we're talking about. So Yeah. So uh, I've had many people message me uh, asking about, apps and stuff to use about river gauges and how to read them and i thought this would be a good episode because i mean i I never know what to tell people it's kind of hard to explain them how to read this so getting this in podcast format would be the best alternative i guess and then let them people uh sending them the link and then letting them listen it listen to an expert actually talk about it so we brought on uh thomas harris from usgs uh, on the show to talk about that tonight. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Brad and Josh. Thank you very much for having me tonight. No problem, yeah. man. Uh, we're excited. Um, like I said, Brad and I both, uh, we were talking about before the show started that we're both river guys. Uh, we've been at it for quite some time, even before kayaks. We were both um, river waders, and Brad's been waiting lately a little bit. So have I. Last time mm-hmm. I went out, I was on foot. So um one of the things early on that we got into and we were advised to is to start pay attention to river gauges and um specifically temperature and cubic feet per second so and which is going to basically tell us what you know our flow rate is in a sense so um i'm I'm definitely excited about it because like i said before it's been pouring here all day and (laughs) so it makes me sad but it's kind of actually where i really start to pay attention the most Mm -hmm. is the big fluctuations that we will get here in ohio for our weather you know because we won't have rain for a week and then we'll have enough rain in one day for an entire month so yeah (laughs) <laughs> so we're excited uh, Brad you want to get us started first question bud yeah uh, just start off with a little background let the listeners know who you are and what you do for USGS sure uh, Tom Harris is my name uh, I'm the data chief for Ohio uh, I basically uh, in char- I am in charge of all the river gauges in the state of Ohio and I would be remiss to say that we are actually a three-state center. It's Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. We are a three-state center. So I also kind of oversee some of the gauges in Indiana and Kentucky as well. However, being based in Ohio, I am primarily concerned with the Ohio River gauges uh, in the state. We operate about 310 uh, river gauges throughout the state uh, of Ohio, and they range from, you know, uh, I have gauges in, uh, on, on the far northeast corner of the state all the way down uh, 
down in Cincinnati. And, and just a little bit of background on the U.S. Ge US Geological Survey. Um, so you hear, you know, uh, earthquakes happening and, you know, you say, well, you know, they say over the news, something like the USGS has registered an earthquake of 7.5 on the Richter scale or whatever. Well, they're, they're the same thing. They're our brethren. Uh, they work in earthquakes. Uh, our specialty, we work in rivers. And so we, uh, again, we obtain uh, stage and flow information on all of our, or most of our rivers in Ohio, major rivers in Ohio. Uh, that information is collected and transmitted on an hourly basis, 24-7. Uh, so, uh, you know, barring any equipment, uh, uh, um, barring equ any equipment breakdowns or whatever, uh, that, again, that information is available free to the public uh, on our website on a 24-hour, seven, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week basis. You could go in at 3 in the morning and, and check uh, – the Maumee River at Waterville or the Mad River Springfield or whatever. Mm. And uh, that information is, is updated on an hourly basis. So that's just a little bit of a little bit of background of what the U.S. Geological Survey does. We have offices in uh, Columbus, Ohio in, and New Philadelphia uh, and uh, the New Philadelphia office being in eastern Ohio uh, covers uh, the eastern half of the state, uh, mainly uh, Cleveland and down to Zanesville and 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 Marietta and East, and the Columbus office uh, handles the rest of Ohio. Um, and we uh, we also have offices. Obviously, like I said, we have offices in Indianapolis and Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then uh, uh, there's three offices in Kentucky: Louisville, Murray, which is on the far western side of Kentucky, and Williamsburg. Sounds like we got the uh, the right guy then, because you're out of uh, Columbus, right? That is correct. That is correct. My, my office is in Columbus. That's correct. Me, me and Josh are both from uh, Kettering, so we fish the Great Miami quite a bit. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I've got about seven gauges on the Great Miami River. Yeah. It, that was one of the questions I actually had. So I'll ask it now since uh, we brought it up. The Great Miami River, they used to have a gauge. Uh, it was called Below Miamisburg, and it doesn't exist anymore. I was just curious why. Uh, so a lot of our gauges, um, let me just say that a lot of our gauges or some of our gauges are funded by Congress. And mm -hmm. so, um, uh, I got about 75 to hundred gauges out of the 310 that are directly funded by Congress. The other gauges are funded by either the state, uh, or Ohio water development authority or, um, you know, counties or different cities. So as uh, funding comes and goes from those counties or cities or other entities, um, then, you know, if we have a loss of funds, then, um, yeah, then the gauge uh, sometimes will get discontinued. Uh, but more so than often, uh, I've been here since 2014. I moved here from the uh, Missouri Water Science Center. So I was, uh, you know, measuring the Missouri River, uh, you know, just about every day out there. Uh, but I came from Missouri back in 2014. And ever since I came to Ohio, our program, we actually, when I, when I came here in 2014, we had about 275, 270 river gauges. And now I got 310. So uh, mm -hmm. the program has expanded since I've been here. Uh, and I think that's because people realize the importance of the gauges, whether that's for flood, flood warning, mm -hmm. uh, water quality, um, or, uh, you know, uh, water management, the Corps of Engineers, we have a good program with the Corps of Engineers as well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different uses that the uh, um, river gauges have, you know, recreation. Um, so um, the, uh, again, the, the gauges are, are my, pro our program in Ohio has expanded actually since I've been here. And we do have uh, Great Miami River and Miami Town, which I think took the place of the gauge that you were talking about. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things, Brad. I mean, we've got, like you said, seven on the uh, Great Miami. So it's yeah. probably one of those deals where it's like, all right, do we really need to keep funding for all these stations? You know, so I mean, it, it kind of, it, it's, I, I know there's several, you know, from Dayton down, and there's what, probably. Three, maybe four, still north of Dayton. So it's, yeah, you know, there's quite a few on there. So you should be able to get 
the data that you need, you mm -hmm. know, to make an informed decision whether or not it's safe out there or not. But um, one of the things that I've always been interested in is as well as, you know, we've got the USGS, which is United States Geological Survey, correct? Correct. Um, and you guys, do you work with the NOAA? Because, I mean, that's a government agency as well. So, yes, we do. Do you guys, you are you using the same stations? Are they getting that information from you guys and then displaying it? Or how does that work? Sure. Uh, let me just go back to the Great Miami River Basin, just uh, and I'll answer your question about NOAA. Uh, uh, the the cooperator for that, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the cooperator, uh, is the Miami Conservancy District. Uh, so they are our partners. Uh, we actually uh, assist them in operating the river gauges in the Great Miami, basically all pretty much a, a good chunk of South southwestern Ohio, the Mad River, Great Miami River. Uh, there's a few other tributaries into the Great Miami and the Mad River, such as Wolf Creek and Holes Creek and Seven Mile Creek that we uh, that they actually, you know, we're in, we're a partner with the Miami Conservancy District. So getting to NOAA. So a lot of people think that the U.S. that the river gauges are, are you know, owned by the National Weather Service or owned by NOAA. And that is actually not the case. Uh, the National Weather Service or NOAA, they actually use our river gauges to make flood forecasts. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is that I, I want to mention that is that uh, the USGS kind of like um, when like a fireman runs to the fire. When there's a flood, USGS, we run to the flood and we actually, you know, make ensure that the stage river stage is correct uh, and we make uh, high flow measurements. And those high flow measurements, I input directly into something that's called NWS chat, which is a National Weather Service uh, a sponsored uh, website. Uh, and I, I, when I enter those flood measurements in, uh, they uh, take those measurements and directly input them into their models to make better flood forecasts. Um, and so, and and so, let me just let me explain why the USGS continually measures the streams because we, we don't put a gauge out there and just forget about it. Uh, mm -hmm. That is part of our QA quality assurance and quality control procedures. When we install a USGS river gauge, uh, we're out there every six to eight weeks and sometimes more frequently if there's a, a flood, obviously, like I just explained, if there's, if there's a flood, uh, we, we go out there more frequently, but um, uh, we actually um, go out there and make these flow measurements uh, because river channels, as you probably know, river channels are constantly changing. Mm -hmm. uh, you have you have debris that either you know, you know uh, maybe a fallen tree that blocks the stream and collects debris. So you'll have more stage for a given flow. That's what we call a negative shift to our stage discharge rating. And I might be getting too much into the weeds here a little bit, but but bottom line is you know a lot of a lot of times floods can scour out a channel, and mm -hmm. so. Um, you know, that scour or that debris buildup changes the channel configuration. So that's why we're always out there. We're out there every seven, yeah, six to eight weeks, I would say on average of seven weeks. We're out there every six to eight weeks and we're measuring the flow and we're ensuring that the the gauge is reading correctly to some reference gauge, whether that be become some kind of staff plate along the river or a wire weight gauge and like a little metal box on the bridge. Um and so that's what that's what we do. That's our that's that's what USGS uh, technicians. That's what my technicians do. Uh, I don't get out and do any more because I'm, I'm a supervisor. So but I get out a little bit, but not like I used to. But anyway, uh, that's what we do. We, you know, we ensure that uh, the gauges are reading correctly, uh, ensure that they're they're calibrated. Uh, and um, I am we're constantly updating the flow so that the public and the National Weather Service know has the most accurate information. Hmm. You, you kind of hit it a little bit. You mentioned uh, a metal box on a bridge. So I, this has always crossed my mind. I'm like reading these river gauges. Where exactly are these gauges at? I've never actually seen one. Is it underwater? Is it on a bridge? Is it on the bank? So could you kind of sure. go through that for us? Absolutely. So actually uh, any USGS river gauge has two gauges associated with it. So the first gauge is what we call a reference gauge. And, you know, you've probably seen like a little staff plate along the road for flooding or whatever. Uh, and then we 
we'd have the same thing that that's usually installed that we install those in the rivers themselves. You know, we have to, you know, hit um, secure with channel iron and whatnot. And that's the first gauge. And that actually is the ref, what we call a reference gauge because this, the second gauge, which is the electronics, which has, uh, you know, a data collection platform in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we ensure that the, all the electronics are calibrated to what the reference gauge is reading. And so, uh, again, there's two gauges. The, the first gauge is the reference gauge. It's like a staff plate or a wire weight uh, on a bridge. And, you know, obviously you have a staff plate. That's not a uh, – there's nothing electronic with that. It's just a you know, physical uh, staff plate on a, uh, on, on a, on a, in the channel or, um, or, um, you know, or wire weight. But then again, the second gauge is usually on the abutment. Uh, it can be mounted on the bridge, but it's usually on the abutment, on the abutment of the gauge. And, um, and, uh, that has actually, uh, the, all the electronics in the gauge, a data collection platform, and it'll have like a little antenna coming out of the top of the gauge box, which, <laughs> Is our uh, transmitter, uh, and and that actually acts to uh, transmit the signal, uh, the river stage data. That's our primary piece of information. The river stage data it transmits that on an hourly basis to goes east, and then from there it you know it, it goes through a downlink at Wallops Island, uh, Virginia, and uh, and then you see it on the web about ten minutes after that transmission. That, that's interesting. Uh- the, so the staff plate, I've actually seen one downtown Dayton right there in front of the art museum. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to pull up a picture here. Here it is. I'll share my screen and uh, show you, Josh, because you you might have seen it, too. Yeah. <clears throat> see, yeah, you can actually see that thing right there in front of the art museum in downtown Dayton. And it, I think it reads around like 24, 25 feet something like that. But I've never actually seen the other gauge, which is interesting. Yeah, there it is. USGS uh, style staff gauges. And that's exactly what it is. And, you know, those gauges are installed uh, along the river banks. Uh, or uh, I, I think if the one that you're thinking about, uh, uh, Brad, uh, is uh, actually in Dayton, there is um is mounted. We have these staff plates mounted on the on steps, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we mount these staff plates on steps, uh, and uh, and they go all the way up to the gauge. If you look a little higher, you'll probably see the gauge much higher up on the riverbank. Uh, we what we try to do is we put these gauges on or actually above the 500 year floodplain. Mm-hmm. It would be very embarrassing for USGS gauge to go uh, inundated with water. It's happened. Uh, it's happened. And, you know, actually, uh, you know, I, I don't know about uh, the about the uh, current situation in Louisiana. We have uh, the USGS offices mm. down there that uh, some of the gauges have actually been uh, destroyed by uh, Hurricane Ida. And, you know, say, some of them may have gone underwater. But you know, that's a that's a tough situation down there. But, you know, generally, like I say, coming back to Ohio here, we, we generally put these gauges above the 500 year floodplain so that they don't get overtopped by water. I think that would be, you know, for, for us, that'd be very embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. So in regards to one of the things and Brad, Brad's probably noticed this before because I will read multiple gauges along the river mm-hmm. that I'm fishing to try to get an idea of, of you know, what it looks like in the northern section, if the water is going to clear up or if there's a lot more coming, you know, because sometimes you can catch that because, you know, especially where we're at here in southwest Ohio, we have a lot of rivers in a, a very close area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, and, you know, we don't have huge rivers. They're not like extraordinarily big, but they, we've got a concentration of them in this little corner. So like we can be able to fish 
you know, up north, but not maybe south because of a thunderstorm that hit, you know, across Dayton, but they didn't get in the Troy area. So Troy mm -hmm. area looks good. You know, the Dayton area, you'll see it rise real, you know, crazy. But then also sometimes you'll see where it gets cleared out because you've got the clear water still coming up from the north. But mm -hmm. what makes is it a funding issue as well that makes a determination of what data you're collecting at each site? Yes, it is. Uh, some gauges are stage and discharge and others are stage only. And, you know, the stage only site is basically, you know, what, you know, what it implies. It's just river stage above a certain mm -hmm. point. Uh, but to obtain flow information, uh, again, we have to go out and make a measurement at all range of stages. We catch the low flows um, and then we catch, you know, medium flow or, or, you know, bank full or slightly less than bank full. And, you know, if there's a flood, then we actually go out and measure the, the high flow and any overbank flow as well. And so, you know, once you make these measurements at different stages, then you can develop what's called a stage discharge relationship or what we call a rating curve. And then, so that is why we are allowed to, you know, that allows us to, to display the flow on our website on, on, on a 24 hour uh, basis is because of our stage discharge relationship. So, you know, you know, anytime you see flow on the web, uh, you're not, you know, we don't actually have somebody there at all, at all 310 sites measuring all, you know, all the time. It's just yeah. that, you know, we, we make these measurements and then we're able to maintain a stage discharge relationship. And so that's, that allows us to, you know, to, uh, you know, display that discharge but you're right josh it, it is a lot of times it is a funding issue yeah that's a good question because i noticed the uh, middletown gauge on the great miami is the only one that has a temperature gauge as well that's correct yeah is yeah. is that because of funding as well that's correct yes okay Interesting. Is it is it just something that's added to the, um, the the device that is where you guys get that data, or is it something like it's there but you guys don't collect that data? You know what I mean? Is is the right. thermometer or whatever you're using there? But you're like, well, we're not, you know, we don't have the funds to kind of operate, so shut it down, and then you know you can turn it back on, or is it something that actually has to be installed out there as well? It's actually a sensor. It's a thermistor that has to be installed. Uh, and so just a little bit, if I, if I may uh, elaborate just a little bit on the river gauges, a lot of, a lot of them we had to have different stage sensors. One is called a, a radar non-contact stage sensor, which came out in the last 15 years, which U.S. Geological Survey is using quite a bit now. So, uh, and that's just a radar. It shoots a beam down to a signal down to the water surface. And based on time of travel, when it comes back up to the sensor, that gives us a river stage. That's one type of sensor. The other type of sensor is an orifice line. So that's just a line that basically goes down to the stream. Uh, it's encased in like one inch pipe, one inch conduit. And uh, the end is uh, has press is pressurized. And as you can imagine, the amount of head, as the amount of head rises in a stream, it'll take more um, voltage to keep a constant pressure on the end of that line. And so the instruments re um, interpret the increased voltage as increased river stage. And that's how we measure stage. But um, to answer your question, uh, uh, for us to uh, have temperature, it's not something that we, um, that's, it's not something that is installed automatically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, either somebody has to say, hey, can you install it for us? You know, and then, we, you know, we have to have funding for it. Or, um, you know, at the very beginning when, when we work out an agreement, when I work out an agreement with the, with the county or the entity, they'll just say, hey, can you put a river, you know, temperature sensor on there? And then, you know, then, you know, it'll go in with the insta initial installation. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it is something that's added in. It's not something that's just there all the time. Yeah. The reason I ask is because we have lots of idiots out there that love to go kayaking in the spring, in the fall, mm -hmm. when the water's way, way too cold. 40s. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's becoming an epidemic of people not wearing life jackets and they get out there and they fall in the water and they drown. And it, and it's, um, you know, we've done, we've done a lot of shows and kind of, you know, we've had a lot of like content that's kind of geared towards that. Cause Brad and I both got dry suits 
last winter and, you know, tr try to talk to people about how important it is to be wearing the proper gear out there. If you're going to get, you know, you're going to get out on the water and these rivers in the winter time or early spring, you know, you can kind of get away with it a lot of times in the fall because that water's still warm, you know, and maybe the air temperature is not that warm, but the water's, you know, warm, like especially in October or whatever. But it's, it's just something that I'm like, I just wish people paid attention to that a little bit more. Cause like Brad said, we see people out there in the water's 40 degrees and they're wearing yeah. jeans with a fleece. And you're like, you're wearing a sponge, dude. Like you're literally wearing a yeah. sponge and you're about to jump on that river, you know? And I'm like, I, I get it. Like it's, it's good. Great to have confidence, but mm -hmm. at the same time, be smart because like you mentioned before, those rivers are ever changing. I mean, there's a spot that I started fishing at. It is so completely different now mm -hmm. than when I started seven years ago. It is, it is not the same section of river anymore. Um, I mean, Brad, you're familiar with the Little Miami through Beaver Creek, which used to be a really popular fishing spot. Mm -hmm. And where it's flooded and it's got, it's got so many dirt banks to it, it's like completely different. It's like you've got these banks that look like they're 25 feet high. And the river's small through there, but you can yeah. see where it's blown into the side of a bank at like a 90 degree turn almost. And it's just carved it out. And I mean, it's it's weird. It feels like it's two and a half. If you're down in the river, it feels like it's way, way yeah. up above you. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, it, it's kind of one of those things because it's, it's, I th think that. I mean, you might see it. You might start getting funding for it. You know, you might start seeing these counties like, hey, we keep having, you know, people getting in these rivers as the, especially as kayak fishing grows and people start to realize that one of the best times to get out in the water is, you know, that early spring when, you know, the fish really start getting active and getting out of their winter habitats, you know, that, hey, this is dangerous, you know, especially with the strainers and the stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, you know? it's crazy after the winter time. The stuff that you'll see out on the river, you know, mm -hmm. from those high water events, especially in the early spring. So, um, let's I, get into uh, or go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was going to say I'd like to touch on a point that you had mentioned about Ohio streams, <laughs> and, and and you're right. Uh, you know, we don't have like super big rivers in Ohio. Uh, I came from, like I said, I came from Missouri, and we measured the Missouri River. And the Missouri River was, uh, you know, 800 feet wide. It was even at low stages, it was like 30 feet deep and flowing at, you know, six, seven feet, six to seven feet per second. And so that when I got to Ohio, Ohio here, I, I went up to the Maumee River. I don't know if you're familiar with the Maumee River. It's a great, great river. It, uh, but I couldn't believe when I got there, it was a bedrock channel and it was only like two feet deep. And it was it was still like 700 feet wide. Right. Mm -hmm. Something like two feet deep and it was bedrock channel and I couldn't believe my eyes because that's not something that I'm used to. I'm used to, you know, Missouri where they have deep and you know, a lot of times deep and, and sometimes slow streams. But, you know, but the Missouri River was was not slow. It was six to seven feet a second. But but uh, yeah, you're right. Ohio has you know different streams. We don't have these humongous rivers, you know, other than, you know, the Ohio River, which I, I don't think the state of Ohio has any rights at all to the Ohio River, because if you look at the, the border, um, you know, the border of Kentucky, you know, goes almost all the way into Ohio. Yeah. Actually. yeah. So, yep. You know, uh, our, 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 our uh, other state, Kentucky handles the Ohio river. So, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have any, you know, truly big rivers other than the great Miami, the Muskegon river and the mommy river are three major watersheds and the Scioto, sorry. And the Scioto, those yeah. are the four watersheds in Ohio. And, you know, when you look at those, you know, when you look at some of those sites and, so they're only flowing sometimes maybe two or three thousand cubic feet per second at you know at medium flow and you know you know that's you know compared to other streams across the country that's very small now yeah right i mean i think that gmr was almost around a thousand wasn't it brad last week or something when yeah we haven't had hardly any rain it was it's this it's the slowest and lowest i've seen it in a while. oh yeah it well we get there to that point usually in the summertime yeah. eventually, but I kind of, I, I start kind of, I don't know, avoiding the river. I don't know why. Cause it just gets to be kind of crazy 
to fish it. And a lot of people are like, well, it makes it easier to find him. And I'm like, I don't know about that. Like, it makes them easier to spook too. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. Cause it's like, you're sometimes fishing for him in like a foot of water, or two feet of water. And yeah. you know, it's like, I don't know, but they must have today uh, between Dayton and uh, Miamisburg because Dayton's is like you say, is, is flowing at a thousand CFS. Uh, but Miamisburg is at 3670 and Franklin is at 4300. And then, uh, but as I go down to Hamilton, Hamilton is only 1340. So there's something there. There's a crest there that's coming down the street, town coming down the river. But you're right. It was flowing at about, you know, 1,000 CFS this week. So, yeah, it's, uh, we've gotten a crap ton of rain today oh, yeah. in the Dayton area. So, um, I was going to say Dayton rose about, uh, almost two feet today. Yeah. So. But um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about so people have an understanding is how to read the graphing that you guys display on the websites. Brad, do you want to bring that up? Yep, I'm already um, on it. And, and you men mentioned something about one of the different types of uh, gauges that you use. Is that gauge um, tie into what I see sometimes on the graph? for something i think it's dcp voltage or something is that what you were describing does that sound right uh, or no well so what you have displayed here is discharge in cubic feet per second right right but do, do you know what the other graph that we have you have so you have uh, like a temp say if you have one that's got like all three or four of the um this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Dakova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All the uh, information as far as I can't even think of it, uh, the word. So you can so, have like temperature or your discharge. Uh, or river your, state. Yeah, or like, you know, the 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 height. And then there's something that says voltage. Yeah, Is voltage. Yeah, that's that's actually just the the, the voltage uh, of the battery uh, that oh, we have okay. going okay. to. The bridge. Yeah, that's, that's what I was wondering because you said really something about, the river. Yeah. about the one. Um, why am I blanking out so bad? It, it was something about the, the vo voltage measuring yeah, the stage. Yeah, yeah, measuring the stage, and I was wondering if that's what that was referring to. So, okay, cool. Um, so let's get into this. This is Brad. What do you got pulled up here? I'm having this is the Great here. Miami River, downtown Dayton. Okay, what's the uh data that's on here? Your discharge. Okay, cool. Yep, yes. all right. So, you want to go ahead and break down what we're looking at here, and if you can, kind of try to describe it as well. So, our uh, listeners who aren't watching the video kind of have an understanding of what we're talking about here. Sure. And so uh, what you have here is uh, a, a, a graph of the discharge in cubic feet per second of, of the Great Miami River. So uh, let me get into the cubic feet per second and what that is. So as we go out and we make a, let's say, a wait, let's say I'm waiting a stream and how we make a measurement is um, we actually uh, we have a tagline or a line that stretches across across the stream with that's in two foot increments. And so we know our width of the stream. That's, that's a, that's a parameter. That's, that's feet. That's one parameter. Uh, and then every, Oh, I don't know. Every, every, especially on the great Miami, every 10 or 20 feet, we will obtain a depth of the stream. And then we will also obtain a velocity in, of the stream 
using uh, what's called a little mini ADV, acoustic Doppler velocity meter, ADV we call. And that's just basically a small Doppler um, on a weighting rod. And so you have the width the, and we have a depth. So that's an area, it's feet squared. And then we have the velocity, which is feet per second. So when you multiply all those numbers together, you get feet cubed per second or cubic feet per second. So that's how we get uh, a discharge. And so looking at this graph here, and if you, if you can't see the graph, we had a fairly low flow around 500 cubic feet per second, August 24th, or basically la a week ago, last Tuesday. Uh, and then it dropped below 500 CFS. I'll, I'll say cubic feet per second. I always say CFS, but that stands for cubic feet per second. It dropped below uh, 500 CFS on the 25th. And and then on the 26th, it looks like we had like we call a hydrologic event or precipitation that occurred in the Great Miami, somewhere in the river basin that uh, shot the uh, river up, uh, the river flow up to around oh, 1,500 or 1,600 CFS. And and then by and that was actually midday. And then by the end of the day, uh, since it was so dry um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the inflows are probably street inflows because the ground probably sucked up a lot of moisture. You see a very steep recession. You see a fall pretty rapidly. Uh, and it fell to about five, six, seven, about 700, C, seven, seven, 750 CFS. And they see a couple other minor events on the 27th, which may mean other streams other contributing streams are kicking in. You mm -hmm. see another another one on the uh, uh, late on the 27th and early on the 28th. And that may be different um, different inputs, different streams inputting into the you know as they kind of as the Great Miami sees these inputs from other streams, then you know it kind of kicks up the discharge a little bit. And then on August 28th, you see the discharge dropped around 550 CFS, uh, and then going down to about 500 on the 29th. And then it looks like on August 30th or you know, um, uh, yesterday or maybe even Sunday night, you saw another hydrologic event or another precipitation event uh, make the discharge go up once again to 900 CFS. And then it dropped. And then, you know, just today, you, know, you had mentioned uh, that it had rained quite a bit. Uh, I, I was actually looking at that on radar today. You had probably what you had was. Uh, a northeasterly wind flow uh, in northern Ohio, and then you had Ida coming up uh, from mm -hmm. the south, and then the you know basically the the two coming in and clashing together, and then you know what when air clashes together, when air comes together like that, it can't go in the ground. It's got to go somewhere, so it's got to mm -hmm. go up in the atmosphere. When that once that happens, it goes up in the atmosphere. Um, that convergence zone, it goes up in the atmosphere and, you know, you have clouds of precipitation form. So, again, you had a hydrologic event. You said it was raining all day today or most of the day, mm -hmm. a hydrologic event that occurred and, you know, it bumped up the discharge to the highest point on this graph, at least, and within the last week of about 2,200 CFS. And it looks like the rain has tailed off a little bit. And it looks like we have a, a drop in and a little minor, minor event and then dropping again. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's basically in a nutshell what you have for the last week uh, on the great miami river date and um go ahead brad <clears throat> well i was just gonna say his uh he hit on a good point that not i've had people ask me why does it spike up so quick and then come back down so quick in the summertime and he hit it and it's a good little piece of information that uh when it rains you get that flood and then it comes back down real quick because everything everything else around it to dry so that it's just sucking up all that so i just kind of wanted to emphasize that because it's a good little piece of information that people should know because by the end of the day one of these one of these like if it happens in the morning one of these rivers will flood by the end of the day it could be fishable for that reason yeah might still be muddy and dirty but yeah the, yeah, the, yeah the 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 flow rate will definitely be the discharge rate will definitely drop fairly quickly yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention too is that you have in the summertime you and it don't it don't sell it short. You have a lot of evapotranspiration. You have a lot of plants that are sucking up moisture as well. Mm -hmm. Whereas in November, December, January, you'll see the hydrograph stay stay elevated. This the Great Miami River in Dayton is probably between a thousand to two thousand CFS in the wintertime because you'll have one probably more um, uh, precipitation events on a more regular basis. And then you have no evapotranspiration. There's nothing mm -hmm. sucking up the, 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 the ground moisture and putting it back in the atmosphere. It's basically, you know, it's basically either runs off into the rivers or it gets just very, very soggy on the ground. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and then if we're getting what we love to get in Ohio, which is snow events and rain events kind of in combination, (laughs) you've got basically this steady supply of water that just keeps coming and coming and coming. You know, like it's it's you'll laugh because you're like, you know, we got a foot of snow followed up by six inches of rain. Yeah. And then we have nothing for a month or whatever. But it's crazy when you see that. which is weird because that time of the year our water is so gin clear and you think it'd be completely opposite just by thinking about that right but it's not i mean sometimes it (laughs) sometimes it is sometimes it's not you know well i noticed like like yeah if we get the snow and stuff like that and that stays snow we don't get what we get a lot of times which is the uh the rainstorms but I think what you're seeing there, Brad, is where you're not getting runoff as bad because mm-hmm. the ground is, in a sense, frozen a lot of times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you're not getting the travel, the dirt into the waterways. So the water, as what you see, like, you know, in spring or summertime or even fall time or early fall, it's just yeah. ground is, is um, you know, and then, but, you know, it's not a farming time either. So you're not yeah. getting tilt, tilled up soil or anything like that. So that's true. All great points. Yep. Uh, well, since we got the graph still pulled up here, there's a few little tr- uh, triangles here. Can you uh, kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, that's just uh, the mean flow for the day. That's what it normally, based on our statistics, that's normally what it is each day. Uh, if you see those triangles are, are at noon, uh, and that's just the mean flow based on oh uh, thirty years of statistics. Oh wow, yeah, that's um, it. Took me a while to put that together, or yeah. I actually read the graph instead of just yeah. grabbing the data that I was <laughs> looking for. And I'm like, hey, the mean means that this is an average over the thirty, and it's a base point saying this is where the river is kind of on average yep. on this day, you know. And um, it's it's kind of a good thing to know, though, because it can kind of help you realize what the waterway does in that specific area. And kind of this is what actually I learned helps me figure out what's sort of dangerous and not. Yeah, because like three thousand or two thousand might not be that big of a deal in a certain section. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like if Franklin. you get it, yeah, if you get an area that maybe is more narrow, um, it doesn't have very much depth, that number could be dangerous at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, no, it, I, I don't it, it to be honest with you, I know that 2000 is not probably a crazy thing in that section where that gauge is, but you know, up north, mm-hmm. it would it would definitely be. You know what I mean? Because I've been I've been on it in the two to three thousand range down yeah. in the Franklin area, yep. and been fine. But I wouldn't want to do that. You know, up north, like in a Piqua or where it's like you know it's really um, small out of Indian Lake, right? You yeah. know, like in that area where it first starts, because that would be kind of sketchy. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if I would be on the gate or on the river with the gauge being right right about at 1500 right now because i don't know if you've been on the river right there but there is there is some pretty fast moving eddies right there off of that whitewater feature and then downstream there's like two bridges and it's just the water's just faster there i don't know yeah but it's cool um oops one one point i wanted to make uh actually i don't know if you can you can you pull up a river stage um, graph, gauge height? There you go. Yeah, let me zoom in on this one right here. Yep, there we go. I see you, you can see the significant jump as far as footage-wise. Yeah. So one thing uh, that I want to mention to everybody uh, is, and, and you see this graph here, obviously this graph mimics the, the flow graph because the river stage is our that's the primary piece of data that we collect. Again, the, the discharges are, are that you display there are basically calculated from our rating or our stage discharge curve. But one thing I wanted to let everyone know uh, is that river stage does not mean the depth of the river. 
Okay. Uh, so, okay. And I think a lot of people realize that, but I wanted to emphasize that all river stages is, is a stage above a certain arbitrary point. And, you know, these numbers have been passed down for, you know, many, many years. And, you know, whenever we establish a gauge, uh, you know, we can establish any, any river stage. And, it, and like I said, a lot of it in the very beginning is, is arbitrary. Uh, we, we generally, we don't want to, we, we try to avoid negative gauge heights. I don't think you'll see any river gauges in, in the state that have a negative gauge height. And we try to avoid those, but yeah, it's just a, a an elevation above a certain arbitrary point. So okay. what you have to do or what you probably uh, already know this. And I know that a lot of folks know this. Uh, and I, I know a lot of fishermen know this. I know, to, I know a lot of uh, kayakers and canoe canoeists know this um, is that you'll have to kind of know your stream and know your river. And so, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll have to say, well, you know, I got great Miami river at Dayton, you know, I got, I got a stage of 23.5 feet. And, you know, when I have a stage of 23.5 feet, the river is pretty calm and I can canoe it. And, yep. you know, my greatest depth is, you know, maybe two feet deep or three feet deep or whatever. You know, so then, you know, and, and when you make a determination to whether either fish stand in a stream and wade it or, or to kayak or canoe it, you know, you might say, well, 25 and a half feet. Now that river stage rose two and a half feet. So, hmm. you know, I had a maximum depth of three feet and, you know, I was, you know, flowing pretty decently at a stage of 23 and a half. You know, what's that going to be at 25 and a half? I'm probably going to have a river depth of, you know, five feet and it's going to be flowing a lot more. So it's kind of a trial and error. You're, you're going to have to know your stream and know like mm -hmm. you know what your safe conditions are. And, you know, as you look at the stream and you look at these gauges and, you know, get to learn the river stages, uh, and, you know, and, and a lot of local people know the river gauges just as well as we do. Mm -hmm. They know when they can fish. They know when they can kayak. They know when they can canoe. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because – I've always wondered about the Hamilton gauge and it always said 63 uh, feet and the river's not that deep there. Is it? No, it's not. No, okay. it's just, you know, way back when, way back in the 19, I think that river gauge was, was established back in 19 after the 1913 flood in, in, the, in Southwest and actually pretty much a lot of Ohio after the 19 flood, that river gauge was established. And that's the datum that was established back then. And we just always carry that forward. Okay. <laughs> that's interesting. I know, like I've talked to many other people out there and they're like 63 feet. That's crazy. I'm like, I don't know. I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm glad I got that answered. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Uh, and this this arbitrary point is kind of what is the basis of trying to gauge what the flood stage is, right? It's not about the depth thing. This is about mm -hmm. when we hit this point, that river's coming over the banks, you know, or we're getting the minor because you've got different stages even within that the flood stage. You've got a minor, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it, it's a, maybe the NOAA uses the data, but where they color right. code it, where it's like you right. they have a, yeah. yeah, yeah, they have action stage, minor flood, yeah, uh, moderate right. flood, and, ma and moderate major flood. Those are their categories, uh, and uh, and they have that on their AHAP, what's called our AHAP's webpage. Yeah, okay, it's um, it's a, it, anybody it, anybody who's reading this stuff, it's very good in my opinion to use both of them i like your guys's for the real-time value yeah and then i like to look at theirs to see what the trend might be you know what i mean because that they give that that possible trend data curve like afterwards like is this going to keep kind of going up here's our guess on this or going down so i i usually will take a look at both of them um and you know kind of gauge what i want to do based off that or if i want to wait a couple of days or but right. um Right. Noah is in the Noah's in the flood forecasting business. Yeah. And you know, we're in the we're in the data business. You know, we provide mm -hmm. them the data so they can make the, the forecasted flows. 
Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm going to tie this into a product here uh, just because that's what we do. Um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to mention two apps that I use that take your guys data. And one is uh Rivercast. And what you, you mentioned a little bit ago that uh, it comes with uh, experience uh, knowing when the river's fishable, when the river's not fishable. The Rivercast app is one of my favorite things because it allows you to put like this little, um, uh, it, it allows you to put a line across the graph uh, at a certain spot where you've been on the river that you were comfortable fishing the river off of a kayak. So I always have mine set for this Dayton uh, river gauge around 23.75 feet. And so I see that on the graph. And if I see it's two feet above that, I know that the river is not kayakable or I shouldn't be out there on the kayak. So that's one of the apps that I use to check it out. Another app I use is uh, River Data, and it's kind of similar, except you don't you're not able to edit that uh, the graph yourself with you know notes and stuff like that. But I didn't know if you had any other uh, suggestions for listeners out there. Or... Well, I, I do. Uh, so if you go down down, you can subscribe to what's called Water Alert. Uh, and you can set in any stage and you can get a text on your phone when the river stage hits that stage. Okay. It, that's on so, the USGS website? Yeah, it is. And I, I would also yeah. mention here that the uh, US, these websites, these, these are what we call legacy pages, and they're going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, these, the, this website here, we realize, is just a little bit clunky. It might be not as user friendly as you know these these websites here are about 25 years old and served us well here and we've had the same graphs up for 25 years but actually what uh, what's going to happen is we're going through a modernization effort and the default pages will be more interactive uh, and also on those default pages you'll be able again to subscribe to what we call water alert and all you do is you put your uh, river in you select the river you put the stage that you want to text in and anything above or below that river stage, you will get a text on an hourly basis. Heck yeah. That's cool, man. Data, That's cool. The data will like come that. to you instead of you trying to find the data. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, right. I don't use That's some apps. Apps. <laughs> I oh, mean, you don't? I just use the website. I, yeah, I, I look at <laughs> I'm old school. I type in I Google, use, I'll be like, man, I use the Great Miami River level Miamisburg. Yeah, and then I notice when it, del- <laughs> it went yeah. away, and I'm like, where's it at? Why can't I find this? Like, <laughs> and then I'll, um, and dude, then, I'm but, on the yeah. Rivercast app like multiple times a day. Yeah, not me. I just do it old school <laughs> like this. Um, but I, and then I'll look up the NOA one. Um, I like the NOA one, like we talked about before, just because of the forecast for it. Um, but I like this one. Like yeah. I'll get my real time. All right, this is what it is right now. Um, you know, within the hour, and but I'll check second. My second thing is to check the NOA one to see is it going to keep rising or yeah. is it going to go down? Because I've made the mistake of not checking the forecast and got out. And the river rose and it rose fast and it like flooded out the area that I was in. So luckily, I mean, I even had my little one with me. He, him and I were fishing and we got over in West Carrollton and we jumped on that dam. And I was like, this river looks like it's Mm -hmm. rising a little bit. And we got down to where we were at. And I was like, we can't go back up there. Like I can't get us back up there. There's no way. So we just dragged it out down uh, downstream where it splits right there, Brad, at the, uh, yeah. the giant eddy. We went back yep. in that area and pulled it out, the kayak from back there, which was no big deal. But when we got out of the water, we went back. And when what ended up happening is we got up to the ramp and the water was already starting to creep over the um, the concrete, you know, where it's it's got the takeout side and then the put inside. Yeah. It was coming over that. And so I was like, we got to get in the water now. And so we did. I just, I mean, it wasn't a big deal for me. I just, he's little, he was like five at the time. So I was like, I don't want him standing on that concrete if that water current starts picking up. So I stuck him in the boat and um, we, uh, 
made our way down and fished. We fished fine. It was just really muddy that day, but yeah, um, it was kind of crazy though because it was like it looked fine when we got there and it changed yep. in 30 minutes. Changes fast. That's yeah. why, guy. I I always tell people you guys got to check the weather before you go, because yeah. I mean, getting caught on a rising river would not be fun. No, it can be, but it it's it's like we were talking about before. We got we you got to learn your rivers. You got yep. to study it, understand what you're looking at. Get out there, look at, get out there, stand next to it, drive up to it, look at it. You know. Walk down there and then look up this information and say, okay, this is what this is looking like. This this looks manageable or no, this is sketchy. I don't feel comfortable. Because, I mean, one of the best times to actually fish is when the water is rising. Yep. Um, it's just, you know, how fast is it going to rise? You know, I don't know if that's a huge thing, but, like, is it going to consistently keep coming? Is there a surge? Yeah. Like, like Thomas had pointed out, he thought it looked like we had a bit – that surged through the date and it's working its way down, you know, but it's already slowing down behind it, you know? Um, And you may even see though, that, that the gauge height might still be on the higher side though, because you're getting the initial blast of the, the storms. I mean, they weren't thunderstorms, but there was like, it was a deluge. It was just like a, a big, huge amount of rain that came you know, real quick. And then it steadied out for a little bit and then it rained real hard for a while and, you know, slowed down a little bit. Yeah. Which is weird because North of Dayton, it didn't get any rain and it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) That's always interesting. But, but yeah, it's, it's something that it takes time. So, you know, for those people that are, you know, emailing Brad and stuff like that, just, Thomas has given us you know, a lot of good information of, mm-hmm. you know, what you're looking at, how to read it. Um, but the best thing is, is to not just look at those gauges, but get out there and understand what the water is actually looking like. And if it's within your comfort level or out of your comfort level, you know, make your best de- decision that you can and take it easy when you first do it. You know, there's no reason to go out there and push it. If, if, you know, it's like our, Thomas, I don't know if you ever you've listened. Probably haven't listened to our podcast, but one of me and Brad's uh, friends here in the uh, Southwest Ohio area he used to be one of our hosts on one of the other shows. His one of his first trips out was on the Little Miami when it it got blasted, and he got knocked out of his kayak and dragged through the trees. And you know how I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with. The way little Miami is, is a lot of times when it floods, it floods into the trees. Um, They're not steep banks. Yeah, they don't have real steep banks. So it's and it's not wide. It's, you know, fairly narrow river for a long time till it gets close to Cincinnati um, or this, you know, the towards that way. But uh, anyways, he he that was his one of his first trips and he was going with guys that were whitewater kind of guys. You know, they're used to this stuff. They're like, yeah, this is what we, we like to get out here, but they've got ter- totally different kinds of kayaks. He's got a fishing kayak, basically, and he gets out there and gets washing machined, basically. <laughs> and uh, it's imagine. a horrible story, though. Like, you know, he's like, I almost never did it again because I almost drowned. And um, so that's the thing. Take it serious because – even as small as our rivers kind of seem to a lot of people, it's still dangerous and, you know, it doesn't take much to drown, you know, unfortunately. And so, you know, I don't know, Brad, you got anything to add to that? No, man. Sounded good to me, but I don't know. Uh, Just, you know, be wary of it. Um, You know, I always say the best time to get out there is, the low water events like we just had like last week and a week before when, when it, when it is at its lowest, I like that because I can see what's in the water, you know, like you, you kind of get a gauge of, okay, that's why that riffle is like that. Um, mm-hmm. It looks a hundred times different in the late fall or whatever, you know, early spring. Cause there's a lot more water in the river mm-hmm. and that riffle look, that riffle looks smooth or not smooth yeah. but looks manageable but you don't realize there's three foot rocks down there you know yep. what i mean like like boulders in there like that one brad that's near riprap road past the little blue bridge 
Yeah, oh, those yeah. are big rocks yeah, right yeah. there. <laughs> no, well, those are those are put there on purpose too. Right, it didn't it, look like that. And it's obnoxious, like in the summertime, because you're like, you got to drag your kayak through it. And it's the worst thing to drag your kayak. Through. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate it. Because you're like, you try to go around a rock and there's another one there and another one there. And you're like, you, you don't want to drag it over the top of them because you're like, I'm just going to rip holes into the yeah. bottom of the kayak. But, you know, it's, but that's, it's good to know that that stuff's there, you know. But so get out there, practice falling out of the kayak too, you know, and doing re entries, do it in the summertime. I would say do that though in calm water. Yeah. But if you can can find a spot on the river that's relatively safe, I would say try it in a river too. Uh, just wait, make sure you're wearing your PFDs because I think uh, trying to re-entry in a river is going to be a little bit different, obviously, than a lake when you're moving. So yeah. if you have the ability and you know of a decent spot, you know, that's something I would recommend to try to do. Yeah. So. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com the one last thing I'll add here real quick. Uh, somebody, if you guys ask me the que- asking me these questions about the river, is it safe to be out there? I'm not going to tell you something that's wrong. Like I, I've been on the, I've been on this river for nine years. I've, you know, I've kind of tracked the data and stuff. So if I tell you something, I, if I tell you it's safe, go out there and fish, man, have fun. If I tell you it's not safe, don't go out there. Cause I, I know guys that have contemplated. They didn't believe me. They're like, Oh no. I'm like, I'm telling you, dude, I know the river. <laughs> yeah. but it's all good. Well, Thomas, man, I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else you had to add? Well, thanks for having me on tonight. Uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, being on with you, uh, Brad and Josh. And, and uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, the USGS river gauges are, you know, People really, really depend on them, you know, and, and so, and once we install a gauge somewhere, it's amazing, you know, how the word spreads like wildfire Mm -hmm. that there's a USGS gauge uh, in, in the area and people actually get to rely on those gauges. And I'll tell you, I get emails when the river gauge is down, whether it be, you know, lightning strike or, you know, sometimes it just, you know, things happen inside the gauge, you know, there's electronics and sometimes, you know, the humidity does something to them or whatever, but, you know, I'll, I'll get emails from you know, the public or whatever saying, hey, this gauge is down. Can you fix it? You know, and, and our target time, you know, we try to get out there within 24 hours to, to, you know, go out and fix the gauge. We don't let it linger for weeks for weeks at a time unless there's like we there's an equipment issue and we can't get a certain piece of equipment in. Then, you know, we're kind of our hands are kind of tied there. But, yeah, we try to get out 24 hours. We know how, we realize that everybody a lot of people use the river gauges uh, for recreation not only decision makers, but recreationalists as well. And uh, so we're, we're on top of it and we realize how important the gauges are. And, you know, we do this for the public really. So uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Not a problem, man. Thanks again for taking the time to come speak with us and uh, help get a better understanding of how to read the data and, you know, what people can, how they can interpret it and use it to their advantage. So yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. It's been a pleasure having you on for sure. And uh, appreciate all the work you do for the public and the gauges. Well, thanks again, gentlemen. Yep. Josh. Go ahead, Brad. (laughs) All right, man. It's been a good one, guys. Thanks for listening. If you're tuning in on the podcast format, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn 
on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler. The Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. 